newsletter, February 2021. Planetary exaltations, planetary falls. Everyone with an interest in astrology soon learns about how particular planets rule certain signs. To many astrologers, that makes them automatically good. To those same astrologers, for a planet to find itself in the opposite sign is unfortunate. The term they use there is detriment, obviously not such a good thing. This common notion is simply incorrect in my experience. The error is easily proven too. For example, the infamous Yorkshire Ripper had a really good, in quotes, Mercury. It was in Gemini conjunct his Gemini sun. I suspect he excelled at talking his victims into vulnerable positions. Meanwhile, the Reverend Martin Luther King had a bad, in quotes, Neptune. It was in Virgo, the sign opposite Pisces, the sign it naturally rules. Did that mean that Martin Luther King had no spiritual life or that he lacked a visionary imagination? Instead of calling it good when a planet is in the sign it rules, I find it is much more accurate to call it strong. But is strong the same as good? When a planet is in the sign it rules, they agree with each other. There's no friction. Their energy flows like a geyser, no questions asked. Conversely, when a planet is in the opposite sign, in detriment, it must deal with complexity and paradox, and that is not necessarily such a bad thing. Can we fight for peace? Ask Mars in Libra. Can questioning and doubting ourselves be a path to greatness? Ask Jupiter and Virgo. What about questioning our own beliefs from time to time? Ask Mercury in Sagittarius. Now, a while back, I made a video about this subject of rulership and detriment. It was called The Grace in Debility. Uh, check my newsletter or visit my, my website and just search for it. The video version is, is $15. The audio one is $10. In this newsletter and podcast, I actually want to tackle a very similar subject, albeit one that is not as widely known the notion of planetary exaltation and planetary fall. It is not quite the same as rulership and detriment, but there are many, many parallels, including the widespread unhelpful notion that exaltation is good news and that a planet occupying the sign of its fall automatically spells bad news. As we just saw, when a planet is in the sign it rules, there is a very straightforward agreement between the two energies. Jupiter says, I feel lucky, and Sagittarius chimes in, I bet there are no bears in that cave. With exaltation, the situation is a bit more subtle. In essence, the sign has the effect of underscoring some specific potential strength in the planet, or similarly, of correcting one of that planet's blind spots. The planet is therefore uplifted or exalted, if you will. Before I dive into all of that more deeply, here are the traditional exaltations and falls. The sun is exalted in Aries and has its fall in Libra. The moon is exalted in Taurus and has its fall in Scorpio. 
Interestingly, Mercury is exalted in Virgo and has its fall in Pisces. Note, this is the same as its rulership detriment situation. Meanwhile, Venus is exalted in Pisces and has its fall in Virgo. Mars is exalted in Capricorn and has its fall in Cancer. Jupiter is exalted in Cancer and has its fall in Capricorn. Saturn is exalted in Libra and has its fall in Aries. Technically, there are often specific degrees given within each of these signs for the degree of exaltation or the degree of fall. For example, the sun is said to be exalted or particularly exalted, depending on who you read, in the 19th degree of Aries specifically. Make of that what you will. Those traditions go back to the sidereal astrology of the ancient Babylonians, Often in practice, it is simply the sign position that counts for exaltation or fall. These are archaic ideas, and I am happy to leave the technical arguments to the traditional astrologers and astrological historians. Speaking of which, because the roots of these ideas are so old, there is inevitably controversy among the traditionalists over what to do with planets discovered in more recent times, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto in particular. Some say they are simply never exalted, nor are they ever sign rulers. Others give Uranus to Scorpio, Neptune to Aquarius, and from what I have read, they seem to let Aquarius, Pisces, Leo, and Virgo fight it out over Pluto. In this newsletter, I'm going to stick to thinking about the traditional planets. Also, just to be clear, my aim is not to squabble with scholars of astrological history, but rather to attempt to modernize our understanding of exaltation and fall and to place it in an evolutionary context. Again, our key concept is that with exaltation, the sign has the effect of underscoring some specific potential strength of the planet, or similarly, of correcting one of its blind spots. Meanwhile, when a planet is in its fall, it is invited to become more conscious and mindful relative to one of its main potential weaknesses and therefore wiser. Let's go through the classical planets one by one and contemplate them through this more modern evolutionary lens. Starting with the sun. Now the sun is exalted in Aries, has its fall in Libra, as we saw. Well, everything revolves around the sun. And sometimes you have a right to expect that everything will revolve around you. Now, sometimes is the key word there, of course, but you do have a right to insist. You have a right to say no. You have a right to take up some space and to claim some resources. The sun is basically ego, and ego, while it presents obvious spiritual dangers, is as necessary to your spiritual well-being as your lungs are to your physical well-being. We all have to stand up for ourselves from time to time. The basic assertiveness of Aries enhances and supports these qualities in the sun, while the empathetic willingness of Libra to prioritize keeping other people happy can get in the way of doing those things. But meanwhile, 
a little Libran awareness of other people's needs and natures can temper the potential for mere egoism that is inherent in the sun. There's the brighter side of the sun's alleged fall in the sign Libra. Moving on to the moon. It's exalted in Taurus, has its fall in Scorpio. We normally relate the moon astrologically to our emotional lives, and that's true. But the moon is also deeply conditioned by our instincts. Taurus, meanwhile, of all the signs, is the one that lies closest to our animal natures, the instinctual part of us that just knows things without having to think about them too much. Sometimes, for example, we just have a bad feeling about somebody. Most of us have learned that it is savvy to trust that feeling. Taurus underscores a kind of wise, reflexive simplicity in the moon, bringing out the best of it while avoiding Scorpio's tendency to overthink and overpsychologize. Meanwhile, Scorpio's willingness to ask the hard questions can counter the lunar tendency to keep getting on with the past. Maybe the reason you have a bad feeling about certain people has nothing to do with them. Maybe they could actually be good for you, but they remind you of your father with whom you have unresolved psychological issues. There's that Scorpio fall kind of correcting the potential blind spot of Taurian simplicity. Now, Mercury is exalted in Virgo, has its fall in Pisces. And again, note, these are the same as the traditional rulership and detriment. The situation is messy with Mercury. Astrological tradition is adamant about Mercury being exalted in Virgo. Some astrologers have said that Mercury has no sign of exaltation at all. Growing up, I learned from the old British astrologer Safariel that Mercury was exalted in Aquarius. That actually makes more sense to me, but it does cut against the grain of tradition. Virgo brings out a quality of disciplined precision in Mercury, correcting its tendency towards scattering its focus. Meanwhile, in fall, Pisces can indeed blur the Mercury mind with fantasy and confusion, but it can also inspire it with insights that come out of nowhere, so to speak. Now, all of that is true, but all of it just sounds like rulership to me. Personally, I do prefer assigning Mercury's exaltation to Aquarius in that it underscores a specific strength in Mercury, which is its ability to think for itself. Another way to say the same thing is that Aquarius corrects a mercurial blind spot, which is to forever be the good student echoing what, has been, what it has been taught to echo. Meanwhile, Leo likes the applause that often follows that echo and might prefer it over the lonely path of truth. There's fall, but more positively, Leo can add self-expressive style to Mercury, which helps it to get its voice actually heard. Moving on, Venus is exalted in Pisces, has its fall in Virgo. Well, getting married a second time is often described as the triumph of hope over experience. 
Now, cynics may chortle, but how would human love survive without that kind of hope or, or faith, to use a similarly Piscean word? The romantic drives of Venus are supported by the sheer soulfulness of Pisces, a transrational Piscean faith in the idea that we were born to be together has helped many a couple through hard times. Meanwhile, it is easy to see how Virgo's tendency towards endless fault-finding can erode Venusian love, hence the idea that Venus has its fall in Virgo. On the other hand, though, Virgo's realism, humility, and sense of responsibility can balance the Venusian tendency towards unreachable, unsustainable romanticism. Let's talk about Mars, which is exalted in Capricorn and has its fall in Cancer. The passionate, even belligerent, do-or-die intensity of Mars derives a lot of benefit from Capricorn's sense of long-term, eye-on-the-prize, sober direction. In this planetary exaltation, Capricorn is not so much the brakes on Mars's hot rod as its steering wheel or navigation system, thus correcting the potential martial blind spot of blind, passion-driven attack. Cancer, on the other hand, is self-protective and gentle. Those two qualities, which potentially can stymie bold, decisive action, and that leads us to the fall of Mars in Cancer. But let's also remember that Cancerian mercy can correct the martial potential for cruelty, adding nobility to the warrior, going further in a more purely practical direction, at a purely Mars level of warlike thinking. Never forget that many a battle has been won by a good Cancerian defense. Victory is not always about offensive capabilities. There's the bright side of Mars in fall in Cancer. Jupiter, exalted in Cancer, fall in Capricorn, the opposite of what we just saw with Mars. Now, Jupiter is the king of the gods, and historically, kings have come in a variety of different flavors. We've had despots and tyrants galore, but we have also had good kings, monarchs whose reigns were characterized by generosity, justice, and caring attention towards those who are most vulnerable or disadvantaged. Reflecting on these simple observations about kings, we can see how Jupiter's drive to reach the top can be uplifted by the nurturing, sensitive qualities of Cancer. And meanwhile, how Capricorn's tendencies towards ambition, control, and mechanical efficiency can bring out the worst in Jupiter, leading it to a fall. Still, if you want to reach the top in any area of human endeavor, some healthy Capricornian focus, realism, and discipline can help you to keep your plans grounded and your ambitions in the reachable realm. There's the grace of Jupiter's fall in Capricorn. Now, Saturn is exalted in Libra and has its fall in Aries. Perhaps above all, Saturn is about good judgment. 
It is the planet that helps us to navigate effectively through the labyrinthine complexities of what we call the real world. Success there calls for reason and caution, along with a sense that every story has two sides. Libra's openness to life's ambiguities and paradoxes helps here in obvious ways, assisting Saturn in being prepared for the unexpected. Going further, many of those labyrinthine complexities I mentioned well, we, that we face in life are in fact generated by our interactions with other people. I've heard it said that hell is other people. Okay, well, that is where Libran diplomacy and its ability to size other people up can really underscore Saturn's exaltation in the sign, people skills. Meanwhile, Arians storm the gates in judiciousness can lead Saturn to a fall. But on the positive side, with Saturn in Aries, sometimes to get anything done, you really do just have to roll the dice. Aries knows that. It can lend a certain boldness to Saturn in fall. Well, those are my evolutionary takes on the exaltations and falls of the traditional planets. We are miles and miles from labeling anything as inherently lucky or unlucky. But instead, as ever in evolutionary astrology, we are simply trying to understand the energies and to determine how they might be employed as consciously as possible. As usual, these interpretations are different from what one might read in Al-Biruni or any of the traditional Jyotish texts or on cuneiform tablets from Babylon, for that matter. Test these ideas in your own life and see if they work for you. As ever, that personal examination, rather than historical treatises, is the proof of the pudding. Thank you.